Hello, and welcome to our second Neat Humans podcast, and this was another episode that I had planned for a while, even long before the idea of a podcast, somebody that I really wanted to talk to, that I knew had an interesting story to tell, and um, hopefully, as you'll see, she indeed delivers with a really fascinating story of her entire life. We we cover uh, a whole lot of her very <laughs> long life, and so... Um, it, uh, it does get a little lengthy, this podcast does, but uh, I'm sure it'll be worth it. Uh, this is with Phyllis Masters. Uh, Phyllis is somebody that I only knew about from a couple of people in my church small group, Lauren and Michaela. Um, you'll actually hear a little bit from Michaela. She came along uh, to the recording just to kind of break the ice with Phyllis and I and help ask some questions along the way. And I uh, just want to make sure that I didn't forget anything when I was doing my questions with Phyllis. So uh, you'll maybe hear Michaela a couple times during the podcast, but uh, Phyllis is somebody who had a really strong impact both in Michaela and Lauren's lives um, and somebody that uh, from the little bits and pieces I had heard of her story was really a fascinating person. Um, and again, even though I know this podcast is a little longer than I would like a lot of mine to be, uh, I, I do promise that everything you hear is going to be worth it. She's somebody who lived overseas as a missionary for decades um, and uh, experienced some tragedy that uh, most people couldn't even imagine. Um, and so we'll talk more about that as we go along and hope you enjoy it. Okay, Phyllis, well, I appreciate you letting me come by today and getting a chance to sit down with you. I've heard a lot about you through through Michaela and Lauren as well, and so it's, uh, it's a joy to finally get a chance to, chance to speak to you. So um, first, I want to just hear a little bit of background on you. Did you grow up in Lamar's or elsewhere in Iowa? Where are you from originally? I grew up on a farm just um, just north of here, east of Sini. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. And what was what was life like for you growing up? Were you a farm girl, big farming family? Um, we we had a a farm that was like most farms then. Um, we raised uh, chickens and mm -hmm. and cattle and pigs and corn and mm -hmm. <laughs> and that. So it was a just a quarter section of land. Mm -hmm. No one could survive on that. In this day and age, yeah. But, you know. <laughs> so you guys made it work. Yeah. And did you have a big family? I had uh, two brothers and two sisters. Okay. And um, um, so I, I was the oldest, and mm -hmm. and I really wasn't a typical farm girl. Oh, why is that? <laughs> I, my mother always said that uh, Dad had the boys out uh, to do the outside work. Besides that, I just didn't like to milk cows, and I. <laughs> I can imagine that my my parents had a dairy farm for a while, and my mom, I think, would agree with you. <laughs> um, so, and was 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 church religion was that a big part of your life growing up for you and your family? Uh, we went to the Sini Methodist Church. It was just a quarter, uh, three quarters of a mile down in the little town of Sini, and. Um, um, that that was the church I went to growing up and and pretty regularly my uh, folks saw that we got to Sunday school and and most of the time we went to church as a family mm -hmm. too. I, I've been here about four years and I don't know if I know the name Sini. Is Sini still a town? <laughs> <laughs> it's just a little bird. Okay. <laughs> and uh, Highway 60 used to go right through it. Oh really? And. Uh, uh, there was a church and a two-room schoolhouse where I went to school mm -hmm. through eighth grade. Okay. And um, and 
um, what else? Oh, there was a grain elevator and and a town hall and mm -hmm. you know. Still, some people live in there today. There's quite a few people. It's really? it's, it's almost you might say a bedroom community okay. of Lamar's. Hmm. A lot of people uh, and the church is still going strong. The school hasn't, of course. It was absorbed up into the. Um, into Lamar's High School, mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, well, it, it sounds like church was part of your life growing up, so did mm -hmm. did you ever have an idea that, that missions going overseas was going to be part of your future? Was that something you'd thought about from the time as a little kid, or when did that kind of uh, come around? No, actually, I the last thing I wanted to do was to be a missionary. <laughs> <laughs> I accepted Christ uh, uh at um, in the Sydney Methodist Church, and our student pastor, who was a, a student at Westmar College, and uh, I just realized that I I was a sinner, and um, and I accepted Christ, and then I went on. Uh, I met my husband actually, who was going to college here in uh, in Lamar's, my future husband. And um, um, I went, he actually transferred from Westmar for his senior year to Cornell College in Mount Vernon. Mm -hmm. And I went on to the University of South Dakota when I graduated from high school. And, um, and there I became involved in an intervarsity group. And, I, that was just really eye-opening to me because uh, up until that time, it just seemed like uh, um, uh, being a Christian meant, you know, you don't do a lot of things. <laughs> there were a lot of, you know, you don't play cards, you don't go to dances, you don't. <laughs> it was... Just rules? Rules, yes. And um, there I learned that uh, God's Word was the Word of God. The Bible was the inerrant word, word of God. And I also learned that there was something more to the Christian life. There was a victorious Christian life. And, um, and as I, as I um, grew in my knowledge of the Word, um, our, my future husband, uh, Phil and uh, and our relationship grew also, and um, he always wanted to be an agricultural missionary, hmm. and he was born again. He he grew up in a solid Christian home and 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 um, accepted Christ under the ministry of the Gideons. Hmm, really? And <laughs> who came to? Or yes, it was the Gideons who came to his school. And um, although he had grown up in a Christian home and uh, been taught the word of the Bible, he really had never uh, realized that he needed to personally accept Christ. Mm -hmm. And so uh, actually it was Glee Lockwood, who was at the Billy Sunday Tabernacle, who led him to Christ. And, and anyway, um, but both of us were very immature and very unknowledgeable. But yet, as, as um, we grew and as I, uh, we eventually married, 
after I had gone to college for a year and a half, <laughs> I decided that <laughs> I would rather be married than single. <laughs> good choice, yeah. Yeah, and the Lord continued to bring real um, born-again people into our, our, um, into our circle. Mm -hmm. And, um, but anyway, I did not want to be a missionary, mm -hmm. for sure. I just was afraid of it, and uh, and yet the Holy Spirit was really convicting me. The more we heard the word preached, and the more um, I tried to say to the Lord, "Yes, I'll do what you want me to do," but um, it never really stuck. I just asked the Lord in a prayer time that if He would make me willing hmm. to be a missionary. And you know, from that point on, the Lord worked in my heart, and He led us on up to Prairie Bible Institute, and um, and there the Lord showed us that He wanted us out in Dutch New Guinea. Wow! And I have to say that uh, I remember at one time there was some consideration that that possibly uh, Phil could teach at Prairie. He had his degree, and, and anyway. Um, I would have jumped at the chance. I really have to say that, <laughs> because I. Uh, but but the Lord was working in my heart. I w I knew that was where the Lord wanted us to be. And how how old would you and Phil have been at this point when when you were um, going to the Bible st school and and kind of feeling that call overseas? I was. Um, that was 1955, and. Uh, when we went to the Bible College, and I would have been, uh, I think I was 22. Okay. And, and we also, our first child, Chrissy, was born okay. before we left for Prairie. And, and you, you talk about yourself feeling the call from the Holy Spirit in that time. Was, mm -hmm. was Phil feeling that same thing? I mean, do you feel like you both were kind of um, getting that same notion at the same time? Yes, yes. Phil was uh, just really, um, with it. He really uh, just was anxious to know where the Lord wanted us to go. Mm -hmm. And uh, he went on ahead to Prairie because um, Chrissy was, came a bit later than we expected her to mm -hmm. <laughs> So I had to stay behind a month. But uh, he has said that when he would hear a missionary speaker from India, he think, oh, we should go there. And he would hear one from maybe South America, oh, there's the need, you know. <laughs> but when we heard of, of Dutch New Guinea, hmm. it just settled in his mind that that was where, and I felt completely at peace about it also. Yeah, and, and I'm so. trying to think now, so Dutch New Guinea, today would that be Papua New Guinea? Is that what it's known uh, as? Or? Not really Papua New Guinea, but Papua. Okay. It became part of Indonesia and around the, we went out to uh, to Dutch New Guinea in 61 and I think it was 63 that it became part of Indonesia. Oh, I see. And um, then it was first called, it went through a variety of names. Most of the time when I was there it was called Irian Jaya, hmm. which is glorious Irian. Um, and then just in the last oh, five or six years it's it's been renamed Papua, hmm. 
West Papua and Papua. But, but the, um, um, the eastern half of the island is Papua New Guinea. And oh, that's, I see. that's an independent, used to be yeah. part of Australia. Okay, okay. So, so. so you, were, you would have been on that, that island um, that is split between yeah. Papua New Guinea and Indonesia now? This, the western half is, is the easternmost province of Indonesia. Indonesia yeah, okay, no. interesting, I see. Mm -hmm. How did your families feel when you guys told them that you were going to be going over there? Um, they were, I think, um, Phil's family, his mother especially, thought, you know, with this growing family we had and, you know, that Phil should get a job teaching. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and my mother and um, mother and dad um, thought when we went up to Prairie that we were going up among the Indians, <laughs> <laughs> taking her granddaughter. <laughs> <laughs> so I think they accepted it just um, almost in, in a way, um, just that, that that was the right thing. Really? Okay. And, um, Maybe they would have had it otherwise, yeah. you know, if they could choose, but... Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I mean, I think right now in the world, I think that we in the church have seen enough exposure to, to missionaries and mission work that we have an, a, a better idea or maybe are more open to ideas like that, but I guess, I don't know, back in the 1950s, was what was the church or society's thoughts on, on going international for mission work? Um, I think it depended on, on how... Uh, um, mission-minded your church was mm -hmm. and um, so when we, we uh, were led to join the Regents Beyond Missionary Union which is a faith mission board um, that was a whole new idea to any denominational people you know that you went around and raised your support you gathered together a team to um, support you while you were out, uh, out on the field. And um, that is, it was really hard because we came from quite a liberal denomination. We really didn't have a, not a church like Lamar's Bible Church um, to be behind us. So we, most of our support was just in small donations and um, and through the years, the Lord wonderfully supplied mm -hmm. our needs, and but that was that was hard mm -hmm. deputation, and and uh, now uh, looking back, you know, I I always felt well, kind of nobody likes to go out and beg for money, <laughs> you know, and it just goes against our grain, mm -hmm. you know, and and uh, so, uh, but now I see it as an opportunity for us here at home to have a part in what the Lord is doing out there. I mean, we were the ones on the front line that went into the, uh, had the privilege of going into these tribes that had never, ever heard the gospel, Stone Age people, and uh, never had the word of God. And, and we, we were the privilege to be a, the first in many cases. Yeah, yeah. And so to think that by sending and and contributing to our faith promise offering 
here or, or the way we do it at Lamar's Bible Church, I actually can reap some of the rewards now that, that like, uh, like the um, curries that have just opened up the, the uh, Dem tribe, just given for the first time. And some of those, those tribal people have come to know Christ. You know, that we can have a part in that, not only by our giving, but our praying. Mm -hmm. It's, it's mind-boggling, really. Yeah. And uh, so I look at it differently now than, than I did way back in those days. Yeah. yeah. So, so you and Phil, you would have been, what, in your mid-20s or so when you left America? Right. We, we left in 61. Okay. I think, um, let's see. I think we were about 27 or so, okay. 27 or 28, and, and stuff and like that. I don't mean to in, insult the age group, but would, would you have gone on a plane or a boat? <laughs> <laughs> we were about the last missionaries to go out on a freighter. Really? <laughs> we had to go up to Victoria, uh, the, the head of our mission. Um, British Columbia? or British Columbia, yeah. and. Uh, found out this freighter and he would take all of our drums, or the freighter I should say, but it was not a pleasant experience. <laughs> <laughs> we, Phil had trouble anyway with hay fever mm -hmm. and uh, he, he, he just was not feeling too well most of the 30 day voyage. 30 days. Yes, and there was no fancy, you know, play, playrooms for the kids and we actually had harnesses. We had three children by then. Wow. And we had each, each one with a harness because, you know, there were places they could easily fall off that freighter. And, mm. and um, so you had to keep them so we tethered. Went, <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> and uh, we went from Victoria to uh, Sydney wow. and spent a week in Sydney. And that was, I think it was more of a culture shock to us. <laughs> <laughs> we, I, we were so naive. We just uh, and and we just I just expected because they spoke English they were just like Americans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we couldn't even find a good hot dog. <laughs> 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 they were sausages and it was it was like August there, uh -huh. and uh, it was cold and mm -hmm. no central heating where we stayed at least. Yeah. No. <laughs> So that was a real culture shock. <laughs> and so then another, did you take then another freighter from Sydney to to uh, uh, Dutch New Guinea? We flew okay. up from Sydney to Biak okay. on a plane and then uh, overnighted there in a very nice Dutch hotel by the beach. Mm -hmm. And, and um, then the next day we flew from Biak to uh, Santani mm -hmm. and I, I think it was an old World War II plane. Because <laughs> I remember the seats were, you know, just the canvas oh, okay. type. Yeah. Anyway, that was way in the dark ages. <laughs> but they didn't make you parachute out of the plane, though. At no. Least. They, okay, good. <laughs> um, but uh, Santani is is um, just uh, up from the lake. Santani is where General MacArthur had his headquarters in okay. in World War II, and and there were still. Uh, you know, rusted out landing craft mm -hmm. and things on the beaches. Yeah. And so, how old would your three kids have been at this point? Um, Chrissy was, um, let's see, what was she? 
that was, she was born in 55, so she was six or seven. Mm -hmm. And then Kurt was 14 months. He was just behind her, and then Becky was just nearly two. Okay. Mm -hmm. So. What were what were some of your family's initial thoughts then of that area? I mean, was that Sintani? Was that where you guys were going to be living? That was the coastal area. Okay. And we were there for like a week, week or so, and then um, we flew into an already established um, base, Catavaca, mm -hmm. and. Uh, that whole, it was called Swart, the Swart River area there, but there were three main bases, three airstrips that had already been opened. And the people had um, had heard from another tribe who had, had heard um, the gospel, um, the Ilaga people, uh, and they had um, responded to the gospel. By that I mean they had uh, not individually been born again. But the big tree, chief, when he heard these words uh, from these Danic, or, uh, Ilaga Christians uh, in the, his own language, he stood up and he said, this is what we've been waiting to hear. Mm -hmm. And so the Dani tribe, uh, the Western Dani tribe, just opened, uh, they were open to hearing the word as the missionaries were able to to uh, give it. So we first went to an established area and uh, began to learn the language and we, we had a part in starting, helping to start the first literacy schools and um, we got to be a, uh, Phil had a part in baptizing some of the first believers and um, um, also being involved in the First Communion and mm -hmm. different, it was an exciting time mm -hmm. and in our uh, mission history. Yeah. And then um, during our first year there, Phil was asked to go over to the Eastern Highlands, which was like about a 45 minute um, plane ride um, from Catabaca. And, um, to trek into a new area and to help Standale uh, open up that airstrip, mm -hmm. okay. build that airstrip with the help of, you know, hundreds of Yali yeah. people. Um, so when when you guys arrived there, there was there was already some established missionaries there. You were kind of joining a team yes. that was already set up there. Yes, we we moved into a um, built house. It wasn't sawn timber, mm -hmm. but it was. Uh, you know, bark floor, and mm -hmm. and uh, it was a regular house. In fact, I I just couldn't believe how nice it was. Mm -hmm. um, did you feel like you and your family were uh, received there well by by the people who uh, uh, were from? I, would you call them? Uh, what would you call the the locals the, there? The New the Guineans? Donny people. The Donny people. Yeah. yeah, were you received well by them? Very well. Yeah. They were just so friendly. The Donny people um, just. You know, just to this day, we could go and teach hundreds and hundreds mm -hmm. of people. Just so, yeah, we were, it was a nice area. And the Dani tribal people, the Western Dani tribal people, do things in big groups. So, uh, um, yeah, it, it was 
it was just wide open mm -hmm. to them. And uh, there were still warring groups around. You know, they were still killing people, and uh, but but they were willing to listen, and they wanted to listen, mm -hmm. and wanted to be taught. Yeah. When you when you first went so, there in the in the first you know weeks and months that you would have been there. Um, did you and Phil ever feel any sense of danger, or did you know that there was, you know, the potential for, for harm? Um, not to us. We really didn't. Um, not there at Katabaka. We just uh, the, had no, um, no fear of the people. In fact, even, even later, it wasn't until, um, let's see, what would that be? maybe the mid-70s or late-70s um, when more military and uh, police of the Indonesian came in and then it was a little, we were a little more apprehensive of... Of the know, police or...? Of just, just uh, um, the, it, the whole thing had changed. Mm -hmm and uh, people were wanting, you know, to steal and to have different things. Yeah. But... Um, well, well, well if, you, if you can, tell us, tell us about what happened to Phil. Um, we, after, uh, after when Phil was, um, was um, at Ninia helping Stan finish that Ninia airstrip, when I say helping finish, it was with spades and wheelbarrows, mm. and <laughs> and, that, and um, it was a hard airstrip to finish, actually. Yeah. And, but the Lord just burdened his heart for the people beyond Ninia to the east, and um, where there were still unreached tribes. And it worked out after the airstrip at Ninia was opened and, and the work was going on. It worked out later for Phil and Bruno De Leo to uh, take a team of uh, Donnies and um, uh, to trek from Ninia seven days to the east and where they um, found this, what turned out to be the Kimyal tribe, mm -hmm. and to find a place where they could open up a base and build an airstrip and, mm -hmm. and then um, they checked in seven days and then they checked out and about a month later after they'd gotten their supplies gathered and a seven or eight Donnie people, uh, men to accompany them, they trekked back in and um, began work on the airstrip. And you know, there's so many stories that <laughs> I, I, I'm skipping over just some, some uh, you know, really stories where the Lord just protected them. Like when they were going in, I think it was the first time uh, they were actually shot at in the Sang Valley where they were, uh, Phil and Stan were later killed. Um, and anyway, um, um, Phil always felt like they just surprised a man, you know, uh, who was out in his gardens. And anyway, but there are arrows in the ground around them. And they were debating, Phil and Bruno were debating whether or not it was wise to go on. And um, 
one of the Donny carriers, just a new new believer. And I remember when he came in to our house to to Phil was hiring people to go along. And, you know, he was from way out in the bush and his he had this big head of hair and <laughs> just really um, just wild, but but he had been, become a believer. And as the men were talking about it, he went over and he picked up an arrow and he said, is God with us or isn't he? Let's go on. Wow. <laughs> Gives me just uh, goosebumps to think about, you know, just that. So they did. Mm -hmm. And um, they went on and, and um, eventually Rob was born, and while Phil was in building the airstrip at Quartapun, and about a month later then, after Christmas, after the strip was opened, we were able to join him. Okay, so you did, yeah. you and the, the kids went out there to, to join Phil while he was working out there? Uh, not after the airstrip was opened. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so, and just all along the way, there's ways that the Lord protected even the men. Um, the uh, when they first were uh, in that area, the older men thought that they should uh, tie them up and put them in the spirit huts hmm. and just kind of sing to them. And I don't know what all they would do, but um, then the Lord must have just prompted them because they, Phil and Bruno got out little bags of salt. And um, they first tasted it so that people could see that it was okay. And then they began to pass it out. And, you know, they didn't have real salt. It was, it was um, a different kind of a bark that was kind of like salt that they um, got, had to trek a distance to get. But uh, when they began to taste that and to realize I guess it went through their minds that if they <laughs> killed the men, they, that supply would be cut off. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was the thing that deterred them hmm. anyway. But so the Lord protected them, and, but it was mostly the little kids at Korupun that, that helped with the airstrip. The men just couldn't be bothered. They're a pygmy-like people, so uh, Probably the little ones were older than than they seemed, mm -hmm. but uh, it took longer to build that that strip. But even when we we as a family went in um, on the first plane, uh, it was related later to my son Kurt that uh, they had purposed to kill us, and uh, and then. When we stepped out of the plane, I had on a red dress. <laughs> I think it was a plaid dress or something. Anyway, it just struck one of the big chiefs that that um, if they killed us, you know, that's 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 it was the sign that 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 would be their blood hmm. on it. And the Lord used that <laughs> to just keep restrain them. Yeah. You know, and, and just various things that we heard later, mm. just we, we marveled at how the Lord protected us. 
the Kimyao people are much different people than the Dani. Well, the Dani did things always in big groups and and just, you know, made a big party out of work, work days. The Kimyals were very uh, individualistic, very hot-tempered, mm. and uh, um, so they didn't they didn't respond like the the even when we had enough of the language to to really begin to share with them, um, they just individually came to know the Lord, you yeah. know, and when they did begin to turn. But uh, yeah, we were there then about uh, about 18 months, I guess, and then we went on furlough. We back the main to the thing, yes, back to the states. Okay. We spent a year at home, okay. and when we went back, uh, before we went on furlough, it was uh, kind of exciting in a way to be living in a grass grass um, hut and dirt floor and uh, uh, and, uh, and all the rest, you know, kind of, I hate to admit it, but it was like, oh, we're being real missionaries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, when we went back from furlough, it wasn't very exciting to go back. Mm. It was raining a lot and it was, uh, um, it was, uh, uh, the people, wanted our trade items and they were they were nice to us too but um they didn't seem to really want to hear what we had to tell them and and so uh uh i was really went through a time of depression we continued then um just fell working on the language and and going out to the villages and teaching them what he had, had learned and and began a small literacy school, and and um, uh, as however, during that time, Stan Dale, the missionary at Ninia, had been um, shot at and uh, with arrows, and had um, by the Kimyao people, by the Yali people back Yali. at Ninia, where, oh. where the men started out from. Okay. Basically, some of the people at Ninia were beginning to respond to the gospel, and Stan was, was training his uh, discipling, uh, his preacher boys, he called them. And um, um, two of them had been out to a village to the east of Ninia and had been killed. And so Stan went out to check, check on their um, to see that they got a proper uh, burning and to check on them, and they shot Stan also. So his carriers, though, were able to get him back to the station uh, by night, and um, he was flown off to Catabaca where he was operated on, and, and um, it was just a the Lord's, uh, the Lord's uh, provision that he didn't die actually but he didn't and he he uh, was operated on and went to the other side to recuperate and but he eventually they went back however it left the 
sang people um, completely cut off from the spread of the gospel because the government said that stand, uh, forbid Stan to go out into these mm -hmm. villages in between. These were still Yali-speaking people. Anyway, the, uh, Phil and Stan felt that if they could establish an outpost at the far end of the Yali-speaking tri uh, tribe, um, that that they would be able to to give the gospel from that that area as well, and um, so uh, Phil and Stan decided to start from Kotapun and trek back to the Sang area, hoping and thinking that the people would be friendly. And Pat and I were in complete agreement. We knew that. Uh, uh, we just felt like it was the the right uh, thing, and so this guy Stan, he didn't mind going back after after being shot the one time. He did. He went back. Wow. He was a um, uh, quite a strong person, mm -hmm. and I marvel. You know, most people would not have taken their family back to Ninia yeah. at Ninia, right at their station. The people uh, were were responding to the gospel. So it was friendly right there. But um, anyway, the men trekked about, uh, the intention was that Phil would talk with the people in the Kimya language, and then Stan would, uh, he had a chart and, and teaching materials. And then once they got to the Yali speaking area, then Stan would, um, teach and speak and ultimately to uh, to measure out an area that they thought they could build an airstrip. When they got there, the people weren't friendly as they had uh, had hoped. And um, we learned later that uh, they actually block, were blocking the way back to Kotopun. And um, um, our radio stopped at Kotopun, we could still transmit. Uh, they had a trail radio with them. But we, we could still receive, but we weren't transmitting uh, eventually. Um, but we knew that they intended to go on to Ninia instead of coming back to Kotopun, as they had ho uh, planned to do. And so, um, Pat and I first turned on our our, our radio at, at five o'clock. I'm jumping ahead though now. Um, Phil and Stan broke camp and it turned out that during the night the people were, um, the warriors were going back and forth urging the people to get together to kill the men. and. Um, they followed the men for about half a day, and then they drew up and they shot first and, and then Phil. I understand that they shot about 100 arrows into Stan's body. They were afraid that they could not kill Stan because any, any of their people would have died when Stan was shot the first time. And then uh, Phil, the, Phil and Stan had sent the carriers on ahead and then Stan, uh, Phil looked back and um, 
I've heard, and I've, this is all the, a story that I've heard, so it seems like different people hear different, you know, versions, kind of. <laughs> anyway, uh, um, Phil looked back and he said, you've killed my older brother. And I, I guess he was praying then, but he knew he could never outrun, outrun them, and then they shot him as well. And when the carriers looked back and saw that there wasn't anything that they could do to uh, help the men, they were able to drop their packs and just run. And um, two of the Donny carriers, <clears throat> the Yali carriers, uh, went on towards Ninia. And um, the Donny carriers went up over the northern ranges and arrived at the um, Christian, uh, Christian Reform Station of Angarup about 25 hours later when uh, the men didn't report in that night at 5 o'clock. Um, Pat and I, uh, Pat and the family were there at Kotapun with me and we knew that they could be in real trouble or uh, as had happened before it could be a break in the aerial. So. Um, Anyway, we kept our radios on into the night and and uh, and opened them up the first thing the next morning. And so, when the Donny men arrived at Angaruk, uh, the missionaries called our main station at Katabaka, and uh, I had been out in the wash house uh, washing clothes and. I was running up, by that time we were in our permanent house. It wasn't finished by any means, but we were there. <clears throat> and uh, I ran up the steps, and as I was running up the steps, the Lord just uh, passed through my mind, Isaiah 43, 2, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And uh, then I heard, heard the radio, you know, that that they were calling Katabaka. And so I called Pat and, uh, and we heard the message that uh, the men had been killed. Pat knew that Stan was gone immediately, and, but I held on to the hope that, uh, that Phil was still alive. The Dani word for hit and kill is the same word. And, uh, um, anyway, then our missionaries immediately called for an MAF plane to take them, hoping to fly over the area where it had been reported that the men had been shot. But the weather closed down on the ranges, so they were only able to get as far as the city of Wamana, which is the interior city. Uh, uh, Base. Pat and I were alone that night for the uh, uh, realizing that uh, they weren't going to be able to get in and get us. And, and that was a hard night. And as I prayed through the night, I just said, Lord, I can't face life without Phil. And I, did, and I thought the Lord knew that. <laughs> so he would keep Phil alive. But. Um, um, then the next morning, the men brought 
brought uh, a new radio in so we could um, we could pass the news out. And uh, as I was going down to my study, um, the Lord just flashed through my mind, Psalm 18:2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. And that just gave me um, just the strength all along the way, just the strength that uh, I'd never experienced before. And, um, and I sent a cable home then to Phil's folks and included that. And um, just that the men were believed to be killed. Um, and we went, we, I and, and Rob then and uh, were flown back to Catabaca to stay with friends. And um, Pat, um, Pat and her, her children were flown to Ninia because there was a search. They had asked for a helicopter to be able to go in to search the area and um, <clears throat> to, to really see for sure. And uh, when um, uh, they found out, then it wasn't until the Tuesday, the next Tuesday, um, that they were able to get in there and they found the bones. And, and the men had been, um, again, they were just, they were so afraid of the evil spirits that um, they chopped up the bodies and left them outside of the village just in case that they, their bodies would be, um, you know, the Lord would, they didn't say the Lord, but, but just in case. And anyway, a cannibal feast was held with the bodies. And um, so again, uh, just when that news was told to me by, by uh, one of the missionaries that went in that what had happened, the Lord brought to my mind that verse that says, And fear not them which kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. And it was just, um, I've, I've often said it was as though the Lord was standing right there telling me, that, as Paul said, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And so it, it, I don't think it ever gave me pain as to what happened to the bodies. But um, then um, we, we had a memorial service, of course, at the, uh, at the, at, back at Catabaca. And um, um, I realized I was expecting our fifth child and Tim and who we planned. <laughs> so, um, but I knew I, I couldn't stay on at Kotopun there. It was still a man's work, you know, and, and being also grieving and being pregnant and all. And, uh, and so I, I moved back to Katabaka and where I could have a part in the work and, and even being pregnant. And, and I always, I would have thought originally 
that if I had, if the Lord said, you know, okay, you know, you, we want you, you can be more valuable at home, I would have jumped at the chance. Still, as I thought about the possibility of going home, it just seemed like such a dark picture to me to think of being, as I pictured it in the night, just put on the shelf as far as active missionary work. And I, I know that by then, the tremendous privilege was uh, uh, of ours to have a part in the work there and what the Lord was doing. It just gripped my heart and I just, um, anyway, the Lord kept us there and, and he provided and um, kept up my support and, uh, and eventually uh, to follow up on the main story, uh, when nothing was done to avenge the deaths of the men, the people in the Singh became bolder and bolder, and they they sent out word to the surrounding tri uh, villages and tribes that to get together and to go on, go towards Nunia and to wipe out this thing that was coming towards them, that was causing their people to burn their fetishes and you know they were so fearful of the evil spirits and so uh, dependent on them the dhanis placated the spirits but it was they uh, they weren't bound by the same severe weather conditions that the yali people were but anyway, the government went in then with a big, uh, big group of military men from the Sang, or excuse me, from Ninia to the Sang. And before they, um, they came back out, a number of the Yali men had been shot and killed. And because they did attack them, they felt they were, you know. And they took one man by the name of Sal back to the prison at Wamana a young man from the Singh. And um, anyway, do you want me to tell the rest of that story or do you want sure, me to why stop? Not? Yeah, no, you can go <laughs> ahead. I, well, I suppose first one thing I wanted to backtrack to and to get if, mm -hmm. a little more back, uh, background on if we could is, mm -hmm. um, I mean, is there a, an idea of, of, of why they were hostile to, to your husband and Stan, or um, what, what it was that they feared that caused them to want to kill them? It was, I think the big thing was that the people at Ninia had, uh, many of the people had turned to the Lord and that they were burning their fetishes and getting rid of those things that, uh, that they were just so bound to, the evil spirits. And um, uh, I think it was that, that more than anything else. Um, Stan was not the most tactful or, <laughs> <laughs> he was quite aggressive in his, in his way. And uh, um, yet the people admired him because when he was wrong, I remember they, they quoted him, and this is all told in the book, Lords of the Earth by Don Richardson. Um, but uh, uh, 
one time Stan accused the men of stealing an axe from him. And I, I don't know what all he did. But then later he found the axe and he trekked out to the village uh, to apologize to the men and, and admit that he was wrong. You know, and so although they, uh, they admired that in Stan, that he wasn't afraid mm -hmm. and that he didn't back down, that it, there were certain things. I think he went in and, and just physically tore down some of the spirit things yeah which uh, Didn't you know sit well with them I mean yeah. they, they were just kind of afraid of losing their religion mm -hmm. and culture I mean was is mm -hmm. that kind of what it boils down to largely the, the evil spirits yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I mean they were so afraid as Don Richardson brings out in his book Lords of the Earth um, uh, one time a little girl followed her uncle into the men's spirit huts and they were so afraid that that would offend the spirits that they knew she had to be killed. And they took her out in a, a big boulder over a raging river and pushed her in. And now they loved their little ones. And so, but, but it was such a great fear that, that the evil spirits would bring, you know, a crop failure or that um, so yeah it's it's interesting as you speak um, to some of these traditions and beliefs of them I mean how much um, some of the things seem very uh, like something I would read in the Bible about you know mm -hmm. a, a kind of a pagan religion back then um, mm -hmm. and, and it's amazing mm -hmm. how some some cultures and groups were still living with some of those beliefs yeah, and traditions even into the 20th century. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of people would, would know that or understand mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, but you were, you were going to tell a story about the man who was taken to prison, I think? Yes, just to follow up then, you know, uh, the Lord, as it was said in one of the memorial services, the Lord doesn't waste the seed that he allows to be planted. And, um, and we just can't understand his ways and why he allows certain things and uh, doesn't allow other things. But um, um, that really subdued those same people so they realized that they, they were, there were other powers higher than them that they couldn't just you know, go off and kill people. But about three months later, uh, after the men were killed, an MEF plane uh, started out from down in the southern lowlands uh, from the Richardson Station. And on board, Menovoth was the pilot. He was fairly new, and uh, with Jean and Lois Newman and their four children. And as the pilot flew um, up over the lowlands, uh, the Apparently the clouds were swirling around him, but he could see the, the jungle floor. And he saw this big river that he thought would lead him around and around in, and into the wide of uh, the Balim Gorge, which would have then opened up into the big Balim Valley. And so he followed that river. Uh, as it snaked around and around and it led him up into the foothills instead. And 
by the time he realized his mistake, he wasn't able to to make a turn in the mountains. And um, he said to his passengers, we can't make it. Mm -hmm. um, and anyway, a, wing, a tree was growing kind of horizontally out of, out of the mountainside. It clipped the wing of the plane, and the plane crashed. Um, and uh, as Paul Newman looked up, the nine-year-old out of the back of the plane, uh, it had sort of split open. He was able to wake, make his way out of the plane and um, run away from it. And it was almost quickly engulfed in flames. And so he was the only survivor. And as he ran away from the plane, he thought he was in the Donny area where they were going to spend part of their Christmas vacation. But in actual fact, he was just down the river from where Phil and Stan had been killed. And um, as he ran away and ran up this, uh, across a, a bridge over the river and up the mountainside, he was running up to the village of Wigboon, from which most of the killers had come. Mm. But um, one old man by the name of Kustago, who had actually tried to persuade the people not to kill the men, um, stepped out. And because of what the patrol had done, most of the people in Wigboon just ran. And um, anyway, Kustago took him into his hut and kept him alive mm -hmm. until the missionaries could spot the plane and uh, 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 sent out search parties and spot the plane. And I re remember all of us missionaries were just glued to our shortwave radios. And, and I remember when Paul Pontier, um, Pablo uh, discovered it, he saw it. He just almost shouted into the plane, he, or into the mic. He said, it, it's right where the men were killed. Mm -hmm. And um, then when the head pilot flew over the, the wreckage, he said, there can't possibly be any survivors. Mm -hmm. But again, they had to call a helicopter from the other side. And when they went in, uh, actually, Paul had seen that plane you know, and then as it flew away. Um, but when they went in, uh, they found Paul. Paul came running down the mountainside, and, and um, they were able to take him out. So they, the missionaries, determined to go back in and to reward the people for keeping Paul alive. And, um, and they took back, you know, trade items and a pig and so forth. But most importantly, the government gave them permission to take Sal back from the from the jail at Wamana. And uh, the way I've heard the story, I've heard later there's different accounts, and some maybe have added or subtracted, but the way I first heard the story was that when Sal stepped out of that helicopter, the people were wild when they saw him with joy, mm -hmm. because they knew what they'd do to an enemy. Mm -hmm. And um, 
and eventually in the hubbub they said we want you to come back and to teach us your way and so after that point and in between too the preacher boys that Stan had discipled were able to go into this area and to to teach them and, and the day came when they the first began to turn to the Lord so so that tribe eventually was able to um, to hear the gospel fully and, and get a chance to yes um, and uh, um, they actually were the first tribe to get the whole Bible in their own language. Mm. Otto Kovac and Liliup um, were two of the main translators, along with John Wilson, uh, one of our missionaries. Did did you personally ever have a chance to travel there to that to that village? Yes, and I I actually trekked in. How I ever made it, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Costas McCree's Neil's Neil's dad, uh, when he was there station sitting, he actually built a trail with steps down some of those mountains, you know, and um, and anyway, I trekked in with three other girls to the to the area and had the opportunity of speaking through a um, Donny translator mm -hmm. to the people. Did they know who you were? I mean, did they know that they Phil did. had been your mm -hmm. husband? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then later, uh, when I went went in um, um, in ninety eight, ninety nine, and I did a teaching, I taught in the MK school in in Wamana. They had a special need there. Um, I went in by helicopter to uh, uh, right to the village of Weekboon, and. And I, I had the joy of speaking uh, to the people there, and and um, but the exciting thing—I'll show you a picture here. I left left it out. Um, when the party, when the party, um, the killing party was following the men. Mm -hmm. um, the. Nalimo was the leader of the, and he gave the signal hmm. to attack. And on his back, if I have the story right, was his adopted son on his shoulders, I should say, um, there. And when I went back to, to Weekboon with these friends of mine who were going, taking a patient back, um, this young man, I can't think of his name now, he was the one, and he was just returning after graduating from Bible college. Mm, really? So, you know. Gosh, it, so how many years later would that picture have been taken? Um, the men were killed in 68. This was when I was there in 90, 98, 99. Oh, wow, okay. Um, even though we weren't a part of it, and Phil never got to baptize the Kimmels, he had actually took part in the Donnie first baptisms, and then also in the the Yali first baptisms. So something that strikes me, obviously, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people that would listen to this might, you know, be thinking of, of course, Jim Elliot. I'm sure the mm -hmm, story gets compared mm -hmm. to who was who was martyred in the field as well. Um, mm -hmm. Is there? <laughs> 
I guess there's is there a reason that that a lot more people know about Jim Elliot than than your husband or or are stories like this more more common than than people know? Well, Jim Elliot, you know, they, he was it was big in the national news and and then there was a book written um, right after the men were killed uh, to perish for their saving which was written by a British um, British uh, author missionary who who um, told the story very well, actually, um, and she was a missionary to another part of the world. But um, it just never, because it wasn't published. It was published in England. It never got widespread coverage right here. Um, and then Don Richardson's book, Lords of the Earth, in Christian circles has been pretty widely circled or, or read and you know but but uh, um, it just never got you know the national coverage at the time I remember Christian FEBC and different stations around the world reported the news yeah. but yeah. of the men's you know What's uh, and I'm forgetting too now when when Jim Elliot would have died was that in the 1950s or it was it was in the 50 around 55 or 56 okay. I believe we were in Bible school at the time so you remember hearing about the happening too I remember the you know the yeah. when it happened and yeah. Yeah. in fact I hadn't purposely memorized that verse when thou passest through the waters but when Mr Maxwell our our Bible school principal and founder um, told he was a personal friend of Elizabeth Elliot's and she had gone to Prairie for a year or two I think um, but she she quoted that verse and I guess it just must have had an impact I don't remember ever consciously memorized though maybe I did you know maybe I did uh, uh, but the Holy Spirit just brought that back. And I, as I said that, that night, I said, you know, I can't face life. And yet, um, when reality hit, and when we realized that he definitely was gone, it just time after time, when I would get that feeling, I can't, I, I just can't take this, Lord. The Lord would bring up His promises, like, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Or He is their strength in the time of trouble. Or my grace is sufficient for thee. And just, just, just so many times, the Lord would just bring that word that would steady me, you know. I don't suppose you and Elizabeth Elliot had ever met? No. And, you know, one time uh, I was leaving Los Angeles and she and her husband, Lars, I think it was at the time, uh, were coming and I, I thought, is that Elizabeth Elliot? <laughs> but we were crossing the street and I couldn't, I knew she was scheduled to speak at a big, you know, thing there and, and um, but I'm sure it was because they were. Her husband was pulling this big thing of books, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like missionaries do. 
yeah. I but, mean, it's just, no. you know, you and her have had such a similar life experience that not many people can yeah. relate to that, mm -hmm. that it seems like you guys could have, um, you know. Right. And, you know, I just did long to, to have, I would have loved to have, to have met her and, and just, I think you, you desire someone that's had a similar experience or, you know, you, you're comforted when, um, but the Lord was just so good in, in bringing His Word to my mind and in allowing me to stay on. Um, like I said, I, I, I just, it just seemed like it was such a dark picture and everyone thought I would go home and um, interestingly, my mom and dad wrote me and they said, uh, you know, we know that, uh, we want you to know that if, if you want to come home, we can build you a, a house right here on our farm and the boys can help dad raise cattle and, you know, and, um, but we understand too, if you feel like you need to want to stay. Wow. And, um, and just, I thought, well, what can I do? You know, I'm, I'm pregnant. I, I always felt like Phil was the main missionary because I, I wasn't good. He was very good in the language. He would hear it and speak it. And, you know, just, I mean, just, um, you just wonder at the Lord's <laughs> great wisdom, yeah. I mean, why he allows, um, but we aren't as as um, I've I have a book that calls uh, that is is titled expendable. You know we are expendable. We're not indispensable. Or the Lord has his his plan and his resources and and he used that. I'm convinced that whole incident plus the plane crash was such a loss of life. Um, to focus prayer on that area around the world. And um, anyway, I, I gradually, before the memorial service was over, I had the possibility of three different job opportunities mm -hmm. in, in the other, other missions as well as my own. And, and so I thought, well, I'll stay till after Tim was born. And my mission said I could stay as long as uh, my support came in. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I thought, yeah, I'll stay till after Tim is born and after Chrissy finishes eighth grade. And, uh, and then um, because Phil and I were going to teach Chrissy by correspondence for her high school year, um, I knew we didn't have the support that we needed to send her away to a, MK, uh, to a high school, like either at uh, Dalat in Penang or the Philippines. But um, at that Christmas vacation, I got a letter from fellow missionaries and Ed and Shirley Maxey said, you know, we don't, we, we can't really empathize with you because we've never We've never experienced this, but they said, we just want you to know that if your reason for not sending Chrissy to Dalat is, which is the Christian Missionary Alliance, 
we want you to know that friends of ours and we will take care of all of her expenses until your furlough. And you know, as I went up to the attic where Chrissy was playing at the time, I, it just flashed through my mind, the Lord is going to take care of us. You know, and it was just one of many places where the Lord, and of course people really do respond and we'd always struggled with our support and um, not, not, just barely having enough or not having enough. And um, uh, then from that point on, I never had any, any problems with support, which turned out to be a real, um, Chrissy was really bitter about that as she grew, grew and saw the Lord providing, because she said, if it takes the death of somebody to make people give, you know. But she went on to Moody and met her future husband, who was in aviation training, and now they're both with MAO, and went out. But when they began their deputation work, she was not gonna tell that story about her dad, because she just, did not like the idea that people wouldn't give to support a person just because of the work that they were doing. And then um, she was talking to a group of uh, junior high boys um, and uh, in her home, in Dave's home church. And uh, she was giving, you know, the, the story of the work of MAF and so forth. And the pastor called out from the back of the room and he said, tell about your dad. And so she was basically forced <laughs> to tell. Mm -hmm. And she said, I heard her give this in a testimony when I was teaching, out there teaching. But she said when she looked down at these big boys and she said the tears were streaming down their faces, she just felt convicted. She said, who am I to keep from telling that story if it has such an impact on it? And so, you know, the Lord met her in that, and hmm. so. Um, I mean, you, you talked about your own um, experience or uh, journey, you know, after, after Phil's death. I mean, uh, tell me about, you, you had, you said four kids at the time were pregnant with your fifth. I mean, how, how did that, um, resonate with all of them and I mean I assume maybe some of them were too young to even really understand maybe what had gone um, on or Rob was five okay. and he probably felt Phil's death the most in a way because the others were out in in MK school mm -hmm. and none of the MKs had their dads around either and they grew, uh, had so many good role models you know and just uh, it was it, not that it was easy, and each in their own way dealt with it. But Rob, uh, I think, suffered the most. Phil used to give him a wheelbarrow ride down the airstrip every afternoon that it wasn't raining. And uh, I know when I went back to pack up, and, and three other missionaries went with me to help me. Um, it seemed like every meal time, uh, Rob would just act up, you know, and and then he said, um, 
on one occasion he said, you know, if Daddy were here, he'd be sitting in that chair, you know. And so that kind of clued us in, you know, just what he was thinking. Yeah. And um, anyway, the, it was hardest on him. But, yeah. are, um, are all of your children still living? Yes, yes, they are. Yeah. And all of them are following the Lord, mm -hmm. for which I thank the Lord. Yeah. Not that they haven't all had different, mm -hmm. <laughs> different, uh, you know, Kurt, or my oldest is Chrissy, and she's with MAF. They are, I should say. Dave flew out in, out in Arian for which 16 years. Stands for what? Chris, Chrissy. Uh, sorry, the, the organization Here, they're with? Uh, RBM, uh, they're with MAF, Mission Aviation Mission Fellowship. Aviation. Oh, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. I see. And, um, and then uh, they were asked to come home, and Dave said had various administrative jobs. And right now, he's um, Chrissy's head of mobilization in MAF, and uh, Dave is. Um, he buys and sells airplanes for MAF and receives donations, you know, checks on them and see if they can give a tax deductible receipt and and um, yeah, he he and he occasionally flies, you know, one to be two. Yeah. What was the last time that you were in uh, you know, Dutch New Guinea or now Indonesia? It's, yeah. Um, it was 2010 for the for the uh, dedication of the New Testament, wow. and uh, that was something. I mean, I, you know, when I used to go around with the Bible stories to the villages every morning, I would go to a different village, and the it rained a lot there at Kwarapun, and the paths were terrible, and uh, I would slip and fall, and these little boys. <laughs> would just roll and laugh. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I went back, uh, you know, in 2010, these these boys had grown up, and you know, they would give me their arm to <laughs> take me on the slippery paths to the church, and they would. Uh, uh, it was, it was just an entirely different. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you still seem like you're getting around okay. I don't suppose you're going to plan on going back anytime soon or uh, try I, to get back one more time? I don't think I probably can. Really? I, uh, it's a long way. It's a long <laughs> trip over there. You don't even have to take a freighter anymore. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> but, yeah, I, so. I would, would love to. Mm -hmm. And I do hear from, uh, if, I would, if I would call... You know, some of the Donnie people have phones, mm -hmm. and I mean, I could talk, but the, um, as I told the missionary that does go back, Dave and Margie, um, I said, you know, I have enough trouble hearing, and anyway, and with trying to decide for sure what they're saying, and then just, I, I wasn't game to talk, you yeah. know, over the phone. But one Donnie lady's uh, husband, who was one of the main men, um, elder, I think he was, in one of the churches, 
uh, he said, you know, to his wife, he said before he died, he said, take care of the missionaries. Mm -hmm. And so every time Dave and Margie come back, they bring a, a, a gift. I think the last time it was thirty-five dollars. Mm -hmm. You know, it just—it's so humbling. You know. Yeah. And so a after you came back home, I mean, it sounded like you were living, you know, again doing the support raising life for a long time. Did mm -hmm. you did have? Did you have some other work here in the states that you did once you came back? Um, I, I, my support kept kept up, okay. uh, so that I I was able to do deputation for World Team and. It was called re recruiting, but uh, uh, in colleges, and I, I spoke in colleges and conferences, and and mm -hmm. pretty well okay. full time. So, so your whole life kind of was support raising, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, more or less, is way, that accurate? In a yeah. Way. Yeah. Uh, when I retired in two thousand one, I guess it was. Um, I think, if I remember right. Um, I went off. You can't any longer receive support, you know, if you're not, if you're not, um, once you retire. Okay. And so, but the Lord supplied, and and uh, I had my um, my social security, and then my my dad also left me. Okay. I, uh, you know, we have Michaela here with us. I suppose Michaela's. I know heard probably your story a, a number of times, so I should ask her too if there's any. <laughs> Questions that I missed that I should ask, or anything else that you feel like is worth no noting? I think it would be neat just to have her show you how she does her memory verses. Okay. That's always, I love that. Yeah, I, I, if I have the opportunity to speak, I speak about memorizing scripture because it meant so much to me. And like, as I mentioned earlier, it was out of that dark time um, when it just seemed like we were not seeing anything happen at Kodapun and still in our house. Anyway, um, I determined to start seriously memory. So that New Year's Day, I started and I took one verse. And at that time, I don't know if Navigator still says this or not, but I understood that if you could say a verse for, for 49 days, you had it for life. Hmm. And so um, I have to constantly review, though, <laughs> I have to say, which I do yeah. to this day. But I started with, this isn't verse one, but I started with day one, and I memorized that verse. And then on day two, I reviewed that verse and took another one. And then on day three, all the way up to 49 verses, uh, 49 days. And then on the 40, 50th day, I put, the verse one in the review, and I just kept kept that up. And on Sunday, I would just review, and um, and I had by the time Phil was killed, I had about five hundred verses memorized, and I just you know it was just life saving to me yeah. because uh, uh, just time after time after time, the Lord would just bring like the first. Uh, time I and the family went back to Kodapun, uh after uh, after I had packed up and moved, and the the family I think of maybe it was six months later or something. We we were in our permanent house. There was a lot still 
to finish, you know, in it. But um, I was on, it was split level, and um, I was on the upper level, and I looked down and I saw that blazing fireplace. Phil had worked so hard to get that fireplace built, and, and uh, uh, it just, it just felt like I was going under. I, it's the only way I can describe it. Sort of bitterness to the Lord, and you know, I mean, we we lived in our temporary house for about four years, I think. And uh, anyway, um, not just that, but just everything. And, and uh, the Lord brought to my mind Second Corinthians two fourteen. It says, uh, thanks be to God who always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge of us in every place. And somehow that just, it was like a word, it was a word from the Lord. And it just calmed me. And, um, and so it just, it just was so meaningful to me and helpful and um, yeah and and just uh, time after time well, the Lord used as well as to rebuke and when I talk, speak to ladies I share how the Lord brought verses to my mind uh, you know rebuking me and just checking me you know and, and like with self-pity and you know casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And just, you know, throughout my life, it's just so. I realized after Phil was killed, I couldn't keep that rigorous a program up of, of memorizing with all the other responsibilities and just everything. And so I started something that I've continued more or less at, there's been a few times that I've shifted my focus, but I just put all my verses into a review box and every morning as a rule, you know, there's times when I uh, don't, for one reason or another, but I take out a few verses and review them. And if I don't know them right off, then I keep them in front, and otherwise I put them in back. And I just keep rolling those over. A lot of them is the references that I can't remember, you know. And um, add new ones when I'm going to be speaking about something or when the Lord you know, just makes something precious to me or, or rebukes me or, you know, something that I keep that up. And it's just, I just encourage, that's my hobby horse. <laughs> yeah, looks like they've been around for a while. Are those the ones that you would have start made in right. like the 1950s? Right, and, and added in all yeah. sorts of, you know, wow. coffee spots and all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's amazing. I started by gathering up the Phil had done done navigators memory work, you know, and so the verses were all over the place in this barrel and that drum and that and so forth. And I gathered those up and started with those. Yeah. And then I took verses from lists and 
as I get close to kind of wrapping up here, one thing I'd be curious to ask about is um, uh, thoughts on, on the mission field. And um, I, I don't know if you would have remembered hearing about this a few years ago when there's a there's a there's an island I think kind of uh, southeast of India called the Sentinel. It's the Sentinel Islands, and there was a young man who went there kind of independently on his own. Um, it's a group that's, I mean, totally un, untouched by anywhere else in the world. And, um, you know, he decided that he still wanted to go there and try to be the first one to reach them for the gospel. And, and, and he was killed when he, when he first arrived there. Um, I mean, do you, do you think that um, it's, uh, it's beneficial still for people to, to try to go to those unreached people groups that, um, that, uh, might be met with danger, or do you feel like there is an element of, of caution that needs to be taken with some places like that? I think if uh, uh, it's good to have backup and uh, and do it wisely, you know. Um, but if the Lord is is leading, and and definitely, um, you know, you, you I I think that. Um, um, the Lord will use it, but I do think it is is good to be wise mm-hmm. and to not just deliberately put yourself in harm's yeah. way, mm-hmm. just for um, the sake of you know doing your own thing, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, that like the men had trail radios, mm-hmm. you know, they had. Um, and um, um, Phil, Phil had trekked through there three times before yeah. when he trekked through and back and and, and um, I felt like when when the men were killed uh, and yeah others said I know in other groups and analyzing it you know and all these. Um, that that was foolishness, but we all um, had real peace about it, and we just uh, you know we we didn't they didn't go there to die. Right. <laughs> I mean they didn't go there because they thought they'd get killed, yeah. but they knew that they were unreached and that they um, had you know. Uh, but back to your question, yeah. yeah. I think if if a, a mission with well-planned out strategy uh, feels this is the time to go and does it with caution, like those five men, five Occam, uh, Martyrs, you know, they had their, their plans and they had it all, and yet the Lord allowed them to be killed. And that, that's the way I felt like the Lord allowed Phil and Stan to be killed. And, and that plane, you know, in the providence of God, that plane went down. And, uh, I mean, you just say, why such loss of life in there? And yet the, the people that have come out now, and like there's 52 churches in the Yali area, and in Kwadapun, you know, it's it's spread out from all, in all directions, and um, so yeah. Yeah. east even, you know, 
And, and like you said earlier, it's not like you guys felt any sense of real danger while you were there. I mean, you felt welcome there, so there's no. not, you know, it's not like there's much there. Yeah. After Phil was killed, um, and I went back to um, just to gather up my things that first weekend, um, I would have been afraid to walk down the airstrip alone um, because um, they have a, a strange sense of. Um, of um, sometimes it's the victim's family that gets punished, you know, and and I, I, I didn't have the same sense of security that I, I felt before he was killed at Kwadapun. Um, it, was, it was an unstable time, and yet um, it, there was an incident that was kind of encouraging in a way, but um, after I packed up and went, there was a group of Yali men that for some reason came into the Kwadapun area. And um, the Senanope, who was a good friend of Phil's, was up in his gardens. And the older men at, at Kwadapun, the village, sent word up and they said, shall we kill this, this, these men because of what they did to Phil? And Senanope said, sent back word, and he said, no. He said, uh, he said, I don't know if the Lord is going to punish them, he said, or, uh, but we shouldn't do that. So the Korupun people left, um, did not kill these men, and they went down to the thousand-foot gorge and up to the, the village there. I've forgotten the name of it. But the people there did attack this party, and one man was killed. And again, they thought of the people at Kodapun, or they did think of people at Kodapun. They have a real sense of who gets what and who des um, deserves, you know. And so they sent an arm, uh, part of the body, back to the people at Kodapun. And again, the men sent an arm up to Senanope. And he sent back word, and he said on a, on a video that was made um, by another missionary, he said, although I was tempted to eat a little finger, he said, I knew that the Donnie missionaries had said, Christians do not eat people. And so he sent it back. And, you know, that was really in the very early days after the men were killed. But the Lord was working. Even then, a few people had had received the Lord, and today um, the Aryan or the Kimyal people credit Phil as being the first one to bring them the Word of God, wow. even though it was just Bible stories, you know, not really translation. Mm, yeah. but, um, looking back, do you feel like you've you've led and lived a very full and um, you know, adventurous and exciting life? I just look back and see the Lord's faithfulness and just in, in taking me on and providing and, and teaching me and, um, and just giving, yeah, giving me the privilege of being over there and counting, counting some of those, those, many people 
as as my good friends and and having had the opportunity you know of being being a teacher Anything else that either you want to add or Michaela that we should ask about? <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I've kind of swerved off here. Yeah, that's all right. No, that's good. We like the we like the tangents too, so that's okay. Um, well, as as I get wrapped up, I just want to um, give an encouragement and say that I appreciate a your time today and giving it, me a chance to come up and hear your story and to to talk through all this and uh, that. Uh, I know that Michaela's talked about how many young women really admire you and the work that you've done and, and how much, uh, I mean, me having, I've, I've done some mission work and I have missionaries in my family, so um, I, I appreciate all the work that you've done and kind of laying, laying the groundwork in a lot of ways of, of what, uh, what we do. And so um, thanks, for, thanks for doing all that you've done and thanks for, thanks for being a part of this. Well, it's been great. I appreciate every opportunity I get to share the Lord's goodness and faithfulness and share His Word. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, um, and how uh, he's promised never to leave us or forsake us. And, and even in my old age, it's good to be, <laughs> <laughs> to be able to share that and yeah. just share and to, uh, to honor him. Yeah. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. Well, as I mentioned beforehand, I hope that that was worth the lengthy listen. Uh, Phyllis has a lot to say. She's a great talker and has a lot of interesting stories to tell, so I really did want to uh, put as much in there as I possibly could without getting uh, too overboard. In the midst of recording the podcast, I didn't want to dive too deep into what happened uh, after the death of Phyllis's husband uh, in regard to uh, what happened during the cannibal feast. Hopefully you can understand that maybe that's something that... Um, I didn't think that she would probably want to talk about in too great of detail, uh, as much as I, I may have had some other questions about that, and maybe my listeners do too, um, but I uh, just in the moment didn't feel like that was something I wanted to dive into in, in great detail, so um, hopefully you can forgive me for that. Um, I'm going to attempt to put the book that she mentioned, Lords of the Earth, in the show notes. Um, I have not delved into show notes yet so uh we'll see how successful i am in in uh putting that in there so somebody might want to buy it um if uh if they do have a chance to look into it any further i'm also open to suggestions for future episodes for neat humans i have a whole lineup of people who i think would be good entries for neat humans but i'm always open to suggestions for people who might have an interesting story to tell as well so um, feel free to message me or get a hold of me if you have any desire to i'm easy to find. I'm sure most of the people that are listening to this are people I know uh, directly, so you know how to contact me if indeed you have something that you would like to uh, pass along my way. So thanks for listening, and uh, hopefully we'll be back again with another podcast soon.